Welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Well, we're back in Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 10, right actually right at the end of um, chapter 9, the last verse there, as uh, we pick up where we left off last week. Back in 1985, a, uh, a theologian named D.R. Glenn wrote these words concerning this passage as uh, we all turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Glenn writes, One sinner destroys much good, In other words, a little folly can destroy the great value of wisdom as dead flies and perfume ruin it by giving it a bad smell. Boy, isn't that a fact. I've titled today's message, Foolishness Causes a Stink. It does, it does. Changing the tenor again, Solomon Solomon is going to contrast... Wisdom and foolishness one more time. And if the stink isn't bad enough, it's compounded by how foolishness destroys what is beneficial, beneficial to society. That is the fragrance of wisdom. Wisdom benefits society overall. It is the fragrance of wisdom. And far too often our writer King Solomon laments, there's just nothing you can do about it. Foolishness seizes hold of that which is wise and just turns it into a repulsive stench. It ruins it. It foils wisdom. And at the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 8, including the beginning of chapter 9, Solomon asks, Well, who can discover how God ordains man's redemptive history? And he says, Though you ponder that question day and night all your life, You seek laboriously to understand man will never fully comprehend how God orchestrates his providence. We only know from God's word that he does it. God does it. Uh, Don't bang your head over it. Don't lie awake at night. Just trust that God is sovereign. Then he says, live your life. Rejoice in everything that God has set before you. It's the gift of God. That gift includes wisdom. Wisdom is a gift of God. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be granted to him. God gives, James says, just quit doubting. Believe that God gives wisdom. A working definition of wisdom is knowledge of God's word correctly applied to life. It's knowledge of God's Word correctly applied to life. Wisdom is not merely scriptural knowledge. Many people, even unbelievers, have academic Bible expertise. They've read it, they've studied it, they've looked at it. I've met folks folks who have memorized tons of verses, tons of their verse, uh, those verses, yet still lack the ability to discern what Scripture means and how it applies to life. 
This is why simply memorizing Scripture is insufficient. Christians must additionally, through preaching, um, through study, with the Holy Spirit as our divine teacher, we need to learn to apply the Bible to our daily lives, day in and day out. Acquiring wisdom is a spiritual exchange. It's a spiritual exchange uh, so as to properly apply God's Word to all facets of your daily life. To apply God's Word to your life, day in, day out, that's wisdom. The problem is, a natural man, that's an unsaved person, an unregenerate person, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. If you lack the Spirit, it's really difficult to spiritually discern Scripture, actually impossible. But he who is spiritual, that is, he who discerns all things, uh, is the spiritual man, yet he himself, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, is discerned or understood by no one. We who are spiritual have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ and can apply divine wisdom to all facets of life. That can be finance, education, relationships, law and order, morality, salvation. But those who are unspiritual, they're deaf. They are deaf to the wisdom of God's word. We encounter it all the time as pastors. We, we really do. A person with a life who is in disorder will visit a church. They'll just pull in the parking lot, having never seen them before. <laughs> and they'll pull in the church for advice Marriage is on the rocks, they hate their job, their kids are disobedient and failing school, their income never seems sufficient no matter what they make, and I reply. Pastor Weiler replies very similarly. I'll say, you know, I'm truly sorry to hear that. I am. You need to start with being in church each Sunday. Get your kids to bed early on Saturday. Get your heart and your head out of the world. Be here in time for Sunday school. We'll all joyfully worship Christ together in fellowship uh, with the Spirit, right? And time and time again they reply, No, nah, that ain't it. That, that's not it. You, you got anything else, Pastor? I might. But if you're unwilling to start there, you really don't want wisdom. You really do not want wisdom. There's no silver bullet, folks. There's no verse that you just recite and then everything falls into place. Christians aren't those who pray the rosary and then hope for something magical to happen. We acquire scriptural knowledge. Wisdom takes effort and we apply it to our lives. That is spiritual wisdom. It's wisdom of God's word. A spiritual wisdom works at church. It works at home with the family. It works in the workplace. It works at the office and the factory. It works in the courtroom. Biblical wisdom is, a, is effective in all facets of life. Commerce, everything that you do. And wisdom's fruit is this. It's the same as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
You can add to that other biblical wisdom. Honesty, decency, truthfulness, preparedness, readiness, alertness. All are divine wisdom as uh, the spiritual wisdom is applied, Scripture is applied to our lives. On the contrary, Scripture says the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. It means it isn't an exhaustive list. And things like these, of which I forewarn you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's Galatians 5, verse 19. The flesh opposes the spirit. They're in opposition to one another. And part of our frustration in life is that Christians, Christians wield divine wisdom. We wield understanding and divine wisdom in a world that so desperately needs it. They so desperately need it. But they only have the power to follow the flesh. They're unspiritual. They're carnal. And the flesh creates a lot of foolishness that usually causes a big stink. It really does. It really does. Um, Accordingly, in the same way, Solomon Solomon in his previous illustration, that is chapter 9 in verse 14, described a poor but wise man who saved a small city, remember last week, saved a small city from destruction, from foreign infiltration and siege by a powerful king. And this proved what? That wisdom is better than strength. Wisdom is better than strength. But then afterward, verse 15 says, nobody remembered that poor man and his wisdom became despised and his, word, his words unheeded. They went unheeded. I do wonder. I do wonder, looking at this, if that shouting of, of a ruler among fools, that's verse 17, I wonder if it ruined it for that city. If the shouting of a ruler among fools, if it, if it spoiled the whole deal for that city. Uh, I'm not sure. I've not read any theological resources that propose that or, or conclude this. I'm just proposing that we ask the question, looking at the passage from last week. Sieges on walled cities, they lasted long periods of time. Days, weeks, months. I wonder if that poor wise man through his wisdom delivered that city, that he delivered it from harm, but later on a foolish ruler butted in and stunk up the whole plan. I wonder that. We see that in movies quite often where a hero devises a plan. It's going to save everyone from the captors or whoever's terrorizing them. And then in comes to the scene another guy. He wants to be the big shot, and he steps in and just foils the whole thing. Blows it all up, and people either get captured or killed. I don't know. I don't want to add it to the narrative, but I propose it is likely, uh, or possible at least, that as we read the following verses beginning in chapter 9, verse 18, and let's see what else we might learn here. Solomon uh, writes, beginning in verse 18, this is in response again uh, to 
the, the poor wise man who sought to spare the city. It says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink, so a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. Hmm. Have you ever shared a really good idea? Knew exactly what to do. You're like, I, I know the solution to this problem. You've, you've even convinced everyone around you. But then a fool butts in with a substitute plan. Foils the whole thing. Completely blows everything. Well, don't think about your boss now. (laughs) But often, especially broadly in in an unregenerated world, a little bit of foolishness will, will, especially when it's presented by someone who's in authority and a ruler, or a supervisor, or someone who is in charge in one way or another of a higher rank, his decision or her decision carries more weight than that wisdom and honor that you just shared. And it foils everything. The word weightier, it suggests that foolishness carries a greater value than wisdom and honor. Think balance scale. A weightier value. And by comparison, wisdom and honor, that means honesty and decency and and doing the right thing. Corporately or individually or theologically, it's not valued much. It's not valued much in the world that surrounds us. Wisdom says Solomon should remain, folks, our most prized possession. Our most prized possession. It's more valuable than wielding even the greatest military in the world. Wisdom is more valuable than power. No wonder why, especially unregenerated Americans, are so fearful. So fearful. Our military far surpasses any and all of our enemies. By far. Isn't even close. People recognize our rulers, uh, whom we elect, by the way, are filled with foolishness. Makes us unsettled. Makes us worry. Folks, we shouldn't worry. But rather than preparing our troops to remain at the highest level of skill and readiness, our generals are deciding how to best introduce transgender story time. Think about that. Think about that. Folks, this is not going to end well. And becoming indebted to our enemies so that we can pay citizens to sit unproductively at home. Folks, bunch of foolishness. Bunch of foolishness. Uh, We who are in Christ know it when we see a bunch of foolishness. And it troubles us. It bothers us. 
But foolishness is considered weightier than wisdom and honor. Boy, you can create a sweet aroma of wisdom, but the world will shout you down like a fool. They will shout you down. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. Isn't that something? The world we live in? And sadly, just as flies are drawn to a sweet scent of perfume, so fools buzz right into a situation where you need to exercise wisdom, and they just stink it all up. They stink it all up. Well, you might listen to a brilliant economist. I'd hear him on the TV or on the radio. Might speak about fiscal responsibility, uh, the need to get people back to work. And he's certain to have a fly buzz screaming, buzz in screaming, COVID, lockdown, lock it down again. Folks, it takes you just, makes you just want to gla- grab a fly swatter. world is nuts. The world is nuts. We all know what current wisdom says. With the treatments that doctors have now developed and what they have discovered, a risk of fatality remains only for a small number of people. Consult your doctor. That's my disclaimer there. That's wisdom. Stay at home if your doctor says you must But we who have the Spirit of God know foolishness when we see it. We know foolishness. It's in the world. Socially, morally, fiscally, the state of our union is a disaster. But you know what? Don't worry about it. Don't worry yourselves. You want to hear a little saving grace? So is the rest of the world. Have you heard what's going on in Europe? They're crazy. Russia, China, filled with sinners. Just like our country's filled with sinners. They aren't any smarter than we are. They're plagued by the flesh just as we are. They can't outwit us. So don't lie awake worrying, folks. Jesus is going to come and straighten everything out real soon. You're going to use a giant fly swatter. Wait, that's not in the Bible. But he can do some swatting. So as we wait, as we wait, don't, don't be so alarmed when the world's folly is, is broadcast all over the place. Don't lie awake worrying about what the TV says, folks. God is in control. Don't worry and be alarmed when the world's folly is just stinking everything up. But Solomon knows, you'll, you'll know it when you see it. You'll know it when you see it. But whatever you do, don't join them. Don't join them in their folly. In fact, if you want to be wise, if you truly want to be wise in a scriptural manner, when you see the world's foolishness, well, just start walking in the completely opposite direction. Turn the other way. Turn the other way. That's, that's verse 2. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him to the left. That seems simple enough. Has to do with the predominance of right-handedness in every culture. The vast, uh, uh, the vast uh, number of people in the world who are uh, favor one hand or another. It's it's all it's almost it's it's way imbalanced to the right hand. 
vast majority of the world's population. Well, the left hand is notoriously weak. It's uncoordinated. It's a, it's a weakness. Philip Riken says this concerning verse 2. Quote, and he says, with apologies to left-handers, just in case there's any left-handers here, the Bible generally treats the right side as the good side. The right hand was associated with a strength which saves, supports, and protects. In addition, the right hand was used to convey blessing, such as the time Jacob crossed his arms to place his right hand on Ephraim's head and thus give him the greater blessing. The right hand was also associated with authority, which is why Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Given this background, he says, it's not surprising that at the final judgment, the sheep will be on the right, but the goats will be on the left. Then he concludes, when Solomon says that the fool is on the left, uh, therefore he is telling us that the man is going the wrong direction in life. It's going the wrong direction. It's simple. The fool, that be man or woman, walks through life on the wrong path, headed the wrong direction, and everybody sees it. Everybody sees it. Look at verse 3. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking and he demonstrates, or your translation may say that he, he says to everyone that he is a fool. Boy, that is a loaded verse. This is pure gold right here. Pure gold. The fool walks along the road. Now don't think to yourself uh, of the fool walking beside the road, as we might today. Oh, there's someone walking beside the road. Uh, We would imagine someone would do that commonly today. Walking along the road, that was the typical means of travel in that day and age. You would travel between cities walking on a road. The Bible uses it uh, to be symbolic of your moral trek through life. So this fool is displaying a common behavior of walking a road. What stands out is that he is directionally challenged. He's headed the wrong way. How do we know that? Well, verse 2 says, A wise man's heart directs him towards the right. But the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. He is traveling in the wrong way through life. The New American Standard says in verse 3, His sense is lacking. That word sense is literally heart. It's the same word that is used twice in verse 2. A wise, man heart, a wise man's heart directs him to the right, but a fool's heart directs him the wrong way, to the left. Why is that? He's lacking sense. He's lacking sense. The King James says his wisdom fails him. His heart is lacking. The reality is that his moral compass in life His priorities in life, it's 180 degrees out. 180 degrees out. Back when I worked as an aircraft mechanic, we used to have a test on an airplane that was called swinging the compass. Swinging the compass. 
To swing means to verify the accuracy of a ship's compass. All right? You'd swing it to see whether it's on or off. Uh, the way we did it that is, is that we would park a plane, a large wide-body aircraft, directly on a straight yellow line that was true north. That straight yellow line was verified with instrumentation that's painted on the pavement or on the tarmac, a straight yellow line that had been verified through instrumentation that that is true north. And we would set the plane over that straight line. We had processes to make sure it is perfectly over and under, uh, over the, the stripe, and then, of course, the stripe under the aircraft straightly. And the magnetic compass on each plane, it had to be recertified periodically. You had to go again and again uh, every so many, uh, uh, so whatever period of time it was. Uh, you had to recertify it in case the electronics on the airplane failed. The manual compass. And if I remember right, at most, we would discover maybe a couple degrees off. A couple degrees off. You know, that doesn't sound like a big issue. Unless you're flying from Orlando to Seattle... you're going to end up in Portland. <laughs> or worse, you're going to end up over the mountains with no landing strip in sight, running out of fuel. That's a dangerous situation. Folks, a, a couple degrees over a long distance can be tragic, cause big problems. We never... Never found a compass 180 degrees out. That don't happen. That doesn't happen. Unheard of. The fool in our, in our narrative, he's bonkers. He's completely lost it. He thinks he's going right, but actually he's going left. He thinks he's driving to Miami, but his car is headed north on 95. It's impossible. It's clearly going the wrong way. And and the people around notice. They notice. Verse 3, he demonstrates to everyone that he's a fool. He puts his folly uh, himself on display, and he does so verbally. Does so verbally. The word the NASB translates there, uh, demonstrates, it means to speak out loud. To speak verbally. It literally suggests that he says to everyone that he is a fool. He speaks to everyone that he is a fool. It's a fascinating statement. Fascinating statement. Because the Hebrew can be interpreted, I am told, in two different ways. Two different ways. One interpretation is this. He says to everyone, meaning displaying through his actions, he says to everyone that he is a fool. Another possible interpretation is that he verbally tells everyone that he passes in the opposite direction, you are a fool. Wow! You're thinking to yourself, I know that guy. Yeah, I know that guy too. It indicates the fool's not only wrong, he's deliberately arrogant and prideful about being wrong. Won't listen to anyone. Won't accept advice. What is the problem? His heart is lacking. 
His heart is lacking. Proverbs 13, verse 16 says, A fool flaunts his folly. Flaunts it. So which interpretation is right? Does the fool display that he is a fool? Or does he say that he is a fool? Both. (laughs) Both. Yeah. With him you both see it and you hear it in what they say. They aren't walking the right way. They're in the wrong way in life. Uh, Foolishly, for one example, Lot decided that he was going to go stake out his claim towards Sodom. He started with large herds. He had much wealth until the judgment of God came. When that came, everything God had blessed him with, everything God had given him, just like Sodom, went up in smoke. Gone. All he got away with was his clothes as the angels grabbed a hold of him and his, and his daughters and his wife pulled them out by the hand. Folks, one day the judgment of God is going to come. Scripture says, Matthew 24, that He is going to send out His angels to gather together His elect from the four winds, from the four directions on the compass. Just like when He grabbed Lot and his family by angels, you aren't going to be able to take anything else with you. Lot went the wrong way. That scene with Lot drunk before his daughters, it's the last time that he's personally mentioned in the Old Testament. His lineage is talked about later, but that's the last entry into the log of Lot's life. Isn't that something? Wow. You don't see his name in the Hebrews 11 Hall of Faith. Not there. Thankfully, The New Testament indicates that Lot was saved. Lot was saved. Uh, 2 Peter 2.7 And likewise, Jude 23 states that, and and this is after citing Sodom and Gomorrah's examples, Jude 23 says that when the final judgment comes, some are going to be saved, but it is going to be just like being snatched out of the fire. By the skin of your teeth, we would say, right? Well, when the Lord comes uh, with His angels, uh, we're going to recognize which ones have been playing with fire. You know how? Their hair is going to be singed. They're going to smell like smoke. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13. Each man must be careful how he builds, for the day will show it. Because it will be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved. Yet so is through fire. Fire of God's judgment is going to come. Lot was saved. But the difference between he and Abraham was that Lot walked the wrong way in life. He went the wrong way. (laughs) Built his life in the wrong zip code. Yeah, That's a problem. His compass was shot. 
and everything that God had blessed him with throughout his life burned up. Gone. But another possibility for those who are walking in the wrong direction is that they actually aren't even saved. That's scary. One more quote as I begin to close. This is again citing Phil Riken. This is because in case things sting a little bit here, it's him who said it, not me. I'm just going to let him say it. Riken writes this, quote, speaking of Lot and Abraham, there's a similar contrast between Ruth, who remained faithful to Naomi and the people of the one true God, and her sister-in-law Orpah, who abandoned Naomi and went back to the worship of pagan idols. Riken continues by asking this, what direction are you going in life? Are you moving toward temptation or away from evil? Are you moving the right way in discipleship or falling away spiritually? Are you drawing closer to the people of God or going off by yourself? Only a fool, he writes, would go in the wrong direction. Well, I'm glad he said that. What direction are you going? Are you drawing closer to God and His people? Or like in Proverbs 18, are you going off by yourself? Are you headed left? Or are you headed headed right? Idols are on the left. Church is on the right. The path of temptation and idols, it's on full display on the left. Boy, I'm glad Solomon has repeatedly told us to eat and drink cheerfully enjoy everything that God has set before you. Scripture says God already approves. God has blessed you with that. Enjoy. God approves. It is His gift to you. Wear nice clothes. Dress up. Enjoy yourself. Wear some perfume, it says. Enjoy life. Enjoy your wife. I would add, enjoy your family. Take the wife someplace nice. You choose the place. Enjoy everything that God has set before you. What a lesson we've had in the last couple weeks. What a blessing of God. But are there boundaries that when they're crossed, they make you look like a fool? Oh. Years ago, I knew a guy who claimed to be Christian, may have been, I don't know. But after he came into money, he bought a $160,000 sports car. And he had an $80,000 sports car sitting in the garage already. It's his money. He can do with it whatever he wants. None of my business. But I can tell you what he looked like. He was headed the wrong way. Idols didn't draw him closer to God and Christ's church. Instead, his wealth and success gave him a feeling of autonomy. Riken said, are you drawing closer to the people of God or going off by yourself? I told you this wasn't going to be easy today. A final note here. 
We see when people are headed the wrong direction in life, they begin to withdraw from church rather than draw close. Um, usually happens where there is shame. Usually happens. Not always. Sometimes people just don't like us. That's fine. There's other churches in town. We aren't the only Christians preaching the gospel. But they start to have shame and they say, oh, people can't know where I go. I can't risk anybody seeing me wearing this or this jewelry that I have. This clothes. Folks, friends, be careful. Be careful. Whenever your spirit starts prompting you, provoking you to wonder if other Christians can see this or know this about me, beware. Beware. When you feel ashamed, when you can't be comfortable with the body of Christ and fellowship and worship, you're headed in the wrong direction. Let it go. Let it go. Learn to apply Scripture to your daily walk. Enjoy all the blessings that God has set before you. That is wisdom. Don't be a fool. Don't do it. When Christians begin traveling the wrong way, the Holy Spirit puts up a huge road sign in front of us. It says, idolatry ahead. Don't be rubbernecking when you pass that sign. Idolatry, folks, is a big contributor to the rise of the mega churches. Most of you know here, I come from a very large church, was ordained at a very large church, a very sound theological church. No problems there at all. I'm not a size snob at all. God blesses as He decides to bless. Large isn't always bad. But even when we were there, it was easy to notice that people could slip in and out of church without anybody noticing what direction you're headed when you pull out the driveway. Did he turn left? Or did he turn right? Here's what we're going to do. Ready for the application? Gerald, you ready? We're going to paint a yellow stripe right down the middle of the aisle. Why? Because church is where we get our compass checked. Scripture is what tells us whether or not we are headed left or headed right, and we want to be right towards Christ. I'm pretty confident we've had over the years a number of people withdraw just because they didn't want people to know that they'd taken a left-hand turn. Tell you folks, God's Spirit has convicted me of a few things over the years. Some of them were flat black, made a really loud bang. Sometimes you've got to let it go. Now, I didn't let them all go. All right? That would be making a wrong turn. All right? We think about how much work there is to do for the kingdom and Christians around the world that need us need our wisdom and our help. It's not just Anza. They're all over. And a huge 
a massive amount of real estate in Scripture. Gerald was talking about this this morning in Bible Life Group. A massive amount of Scripture is devoted to. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, you've got James, Matthew chapter 25, uh, 1 John, caring for our brethren in Christ who can't care for themselves. Folks, that's what we do here. Best of our ability. You got anything to say? Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your holiness, how your word refines us like a crucible refines silver, and how a furnace refines gold. Lord, we are so precious to you. And who can endure the day of our Lord's coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and a purifier of silver, and He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that He may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Folks, let us choose a path that serves you. Lord, make us holy as you are holy. Help us to love, to understand wisdom, and to apply it to our lives. Father, uh, the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who travel it. Father, help that not to be us. When your Son returns in His glory. Amen. Amen.